everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Breaking Boundaries podcast with Barbell Apparel. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nick Best, a storied strongman competitor, also based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, Nick is 53 years old and has had a long, amazing career and is still competing at an incredibly high level. He holds uh, several world records, um, especially world records in his age class. He's 6'2", 305 pounds. Just to quickly list off some of his achievements, he's got uh, the world record um, for an over 50 deadlift at 815.7 pounds. Uh, he's got a personal best deadlift at 843 pounds. He's got the world record for over 50 squat, 848 pounds, a personal best squat, 870 pounds. Uh, he's got over 26 top 10 career finishes, uh, two first place um, USAPL powerlifting championship finishes, a first place world drug free powerlifting federation finish, a first place all American strongman challenge. Um, he was a giants live North American champion in 2016 and he's qualified for the world's strongest man for almost a decade. And he's one of only seven people that have been able to do the world's strongest man competition 10 or more times. Uh, I guess Nick, when you have a career as long as you've been able to do it, you're able to achieve some awesome stuff stuff. Um, I mean, A, congratulations on all of the amazing things you've done. Uh, is Thanks, there anything man. I'm missing? Anything else you want to touch on? Oh, there's, there's just world records and other stuff, but that's okay. I mean, like I did 2,500 or we did Paul Anderson's carousel lift on the strongest man in history. And he had the record at 2,700 pounds and I did 2791 to beat his record. So that's one of them. The hip lifts hold the world record now at 2531. Um, let's see. Farm, farmer's carry, right? Farmer's walk. I have the world record in the farmer's walk. Uh, I have the world record hold in the shield carry, which everybody who's seen the TV show knows all about that because we've said it all the time. <laughs> and then like a two inch axle deadlift, I did 13 reps with 770 in 60 seconds. That's those crazy. Are, those are the ones I can remember right off the top of my head. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that'll be the longest intro I do probably ever, just because of the amount of achievements. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. And um, you well, mentioned will make forty years that I've been competing. That's that's amazing. That I've been training and competing. Yeah. So you were competing since you were thirteen. Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Yeah. November, well, I turned fifty-four. We'll make sure to to <laughs> chat about your early your early training years and kind of what helped formulate. Um, just the amazing foundation you obviously have to be able to, to achieve all this. Um, but first let's find out what you're up to today. So, mm -hmm. so what, what, what are you doing these days? What are you up to? Well, now I pretty much do social media stuff and, uh, I'm training for the master's world strongest man, uh, November 11th through the 13th. It's called, uh, official strongman games but they have all the other weight classes for the world's strongest man titles. And this year they have an over 50. So I'm going off, going after the world's strongest man over 50. Amazing. So I'm in the middle of getting ready for that. So. Yeah. And, and probably a lot of, a lot of our listeners don't know, but I mean, you uh, did, you achieved most of these things. I did most of your competing. Um, I mean, you, you know, in all practicality, you're a professional athlete, but you still had a normal job for the majority of your career. Oh yeah. It wasn't until we started filming the TV show, um, in January of 2019 that I had to leave my job. Um, I worked as a full-time sales supervisor for two different beer companies for 18 years. 
So all through my strongman career, for the most part, um, I was working 55 hours a week in the beer business. Yeah. And I mean, like really congratulations for, for coming to a place where you can, uh, you know, use your athleticism in your career, um, as an athlete, as your, as your full-time, um, job now. But I think it's really cool that you were able to achieve so much while holding down a full-time job. Cause I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of people can get trapped in this myth of thinking, you know, I have all these other responsibilities and um, that's the reason why I'm not able to achieve these things. And yet here you are, I, I, you know, I'm having to rattle off a five minute list of uh, personal achievements because your career has been so awesome. And you were doing this while working a normal job and you have a family. Um, and I mean, I've, I've met you in Las Vegas here and, and seen you at community functions. And it's not like you're not living a normal life. You do have a full normal life and you're still competing at this high level. So um uh, it's pretty awesome to see that you've been able to do that, especially for such a long time. Thank you. You can do anything you put your mind to. So if you want to do it bad enough, you're going to do it. And it's one of those things where I love doing it. I live for it. So I did it. And, you know, I, I feel very blessed. I did it long enough for social media and a lot of other things to make it possible for me to be able to earn a living that way. And just now concentrate on that and lifting instead of working 50 hours a week, but I still work a lot of hours and cause I'm now I'm working for myself. So you're always working when you're working for yourself, but are you ever working when you do something you love? No, you just, that's everyday life. So to me, it's just waking up and do what I do. So it's, it's, it's neat to get paid to, to be yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the other interesting thing is kind of like the, uh, the longer track to be able to get there, right? To be able to, um, use your social media influence in your career as a, as a full-time means of income is really encouraging to people to where like maybe it seems like, oh, this isn't coming easy or, or maybe it's not going to happen, but it's like you kept after it for almost two decades and, uh, it, it all came together, right? Like the hard work gets you, gets you there. Yeah. I mean, people are so used to instant gratification in this day and era or day and age. And it's, it's not about doing it quick. Anything that's going to be good, you're going to have to put work in. People just don't show up out of anywhere. Somebody's put 10, 15, 20 years into hard work before they show up. Yeah. There's freaks that pop up out of things here and there, but for the most part, you got to put the work in to, to get the benefit from it. It's, there's no easy way in, but you can still get there. It's just, you got to work. It's a grind no matter what you do. Be willing to go out there and work with the same enthusiasm as you did the first day you did it every single day is the biggest key to it. You know, and that's what it is. Everybody has their good days and bad days, but you need to go after it. Like you're just first doing it every single day when you walk out of the house. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, you mentioned that you've been competing for 40 years now and you're about to be 54. So you started competing, um, when you were 14, tell us a little bit about your athletic background growing up. Like when did you start training? How did you get into it? And how did you, uh, come to compete at even such a young age? Um, I started competing and lifting at such a young age because I played football. I loved football all all through, through and through. I loved football back then. Still love it now, but. I'm not going to be playing any football anytime soon, but I need to get bigger to gain weight. My sophomore year of high school, I was five, three and about 135 pounds. And I played defensive line. 
And I loved playing defensive line. I didn't want to switch positions. So I had to go in the weight room and get bigger. And that's when I started, you know, went in at the, in November of my sophomore year um, and started hitting the weights because I graduated at 17. So I graduated a year early. So it was, I didn't get that extra growth that other people got, but I went and put the weight on and, you know, it was first team all division and all conference and stuff like that. And Las Vegas and went on to play college ball all four years. So it was fun. Yeah. That's how I got started though. Growing a foot didn't hurt either, huh? No, no. Growing nearly a foot was not, didn't hurt. Yeah. I go go home. (laughs) We leave school my sophomore year. My coach is like looking at me, goes, God, I wish you grow. I came back in a few short months and I literally went from five, three, my legs hurt so bad. I had growing pains. Like you wouldn't believe and I went from five three to six foot, probably over the summer almost. It, it was it was crazy. I came back and I was like 175 pounds. My coach was like looking at me, and goes, <laughs> <laughs> "It's only been three months." I'm like, "I don't know, coach," but here I am. Uh, my senior year of college, high school, I was 200 pounds. You know, I was really lean, had abs, ripped up, could run like the wind. All through college, my senior year of college, I was 220. I could squat over 700, but I was only 220. And uh, you don't keep playing at 220, especially at defensive ends in the NFL. But I powerlifted in high school, won the state championship in 86, and then won the California State and the USPF in the 220 class in 91. Came back and uh, started competing in the ADFPA in 93. Won the state there 94 through 99 and got overall best lifter 94 through 99. Did the first 800 pound drug tested squat in California history. Did the first 2000 pound total drug tested in California history and uh, started strongman in 2004. Took my son to a contest at UNLV that Mark Phillippe was putting on and he saw the stuff and was like, Dad, this is really cool. You should do it. And then I saw him get paid and I was like, You're right. <laughs> and started competing in strongman in late 2004. That's, that's awesome. And I mean, it's cool that you had such a, you know, lengthy base of, of lifting achievements and stuff, even before you ever started getting into strongman. And I mean, you were doing a lot of this stuff before people were even really paying attention to it. Um, Like you mentioned, it was more primarily a means of training for football. Uh, I guess like where along the way of training, you know, lifting, using lifting as a means to put on weight, to be stronger, to be more fit for football. When did you realize kind of standalone, like, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty good at lifting for lifting's sake. You know what I mean? Yeah. High school. I really kind of started figuring that out. Like my senior year when I came in and I won the state championships and I'm like, my coach is looking at me going, you're good at this. Keep doing this as well. And I fell in love with it. Like it, it took maybe three weeks and I was hooked. That was it. I was done. So I fell in love with it. So it was something I was going to do every day or not every day, but you know, in my regular routine constantly, whether I'm competing or not competing, I love the process of training and going in and putting the work in and seeing the results and the benefits that I get from it. I love the process. So if you don't love the process, you're probably not going to make it to a world-class level or stay there very long. You have to really enjoy it. Yeah, that that's, that's great insight. And like, my, my, I guess how much of your success or your ability to progress through the lifts and the, the success that you've had, how much do you think comes down to like raw talent or genetics versus that dedication that 
that, you know, natural affinity for enjoying the process and the hard work you put into it? Um, I am, I, I know there's genetics there. It, there is. I mean, my grandfather, my great grandfather, uh, the family business was headstones. So they were out lifting, you know, headstones and putting them up in cemeteries. And I remember him at 95 putting one walnut in his hand and cracking it. A single walnut, not two, one, and being able to squeeze it so hard to crack it when he was 95. Cause he used to use a three pound sledge and a chisel and chisel out the engravings on the headstones, on the gravestones. So I, I know I get a lot of strength through genetics, but I've always been an overachiever and I've also been very stubborn and people tell me I can't do something. And it's just like, well, okay, guess what? Well, I love doing this and I'm going to keep doing this. So I'm going to prove you wrong and kind of have. So I, I think the genetic wise, it's probably 60 to 70% of it. And then the other, the rest of it's just flat out determination. I think people can get very, 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 very far with, even with bad genetics, there's going to come a point where genetics is maybe world-class. You might not ever get to that level, but you'll still be better than probably 95% of the population walking around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, that's old school strongman right there. The headstone business, right? Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, it was neat going out there because I remember going out there as a kid a couple times and getting to look at the beauty of all the work that they do and then how it's done and how they they lay the rubber over the headstone and then they cut out the stuff on the rubber and then steal it to where it's engraved or you have, they actually use the three pound sledge and the chisel and do it. Now it's all air hammers and stuff like that. But the skill that they had was pretty amazing back then. Yeah, and and I think that little anecdote about your grandfather cracking the walnut with a single hand. Yeah, um, that's that, that like old man strength or that kind of stuff. There, <laughs> there was another story I can't quite recall. You may know it better. It's okay if you don't. But mm-hmm. um, it was like one of those like you know single like the big thick dumbbell they do at the strongman competition. Yeah, yeah. And the story was like no one could lift it, and then some guy out of the crowd just came and cranked it up, and he had been like a pipe fitter for thirty years, something like right. that, right? Um, and it's like that, uh, that strength people develop, um, with that just kind of like repetitive daily, that daily habit of something that they're just doing over and over. I think like a lot of people kind of under attribute it, like even someone like you, who's Mm -hmm. been lifting regularly since you were in early high school or yeah, early high school. Um, it kind of just, it has a way of like building and building and building and like, you, you, you build just this massive foundation that allows you to do things like be a world level competitor or have mm-hmm. a career well into your fifties or things like that. And, um, I, like I have this conversation with a lot of athletes on like genetics versus dedication versus whatever. And it's like one of the common things that you'll see is even the most genetically gifted people, the majority of them are starting their training pretty young. Mm-hmm. And so when you're seeing these phenomenal results, it is genetics and it is hard work, but it's also just a matter of time in the game, right? Like they've mm-hmm. had this, mm-hmm. these decades to build all of this foundation. Um, yeah. and, and I mean, that's something like, I, I guess part of the reason you're able to compete still at such a high level is that you've just been doing it for so long. Like your, your body is just, it doesn't know what else to do, right? Slow methodical gains over time will get you there and then keep you there until you decide you're not having fun anymore. Plain and simple. If you get there really fast and there's ways to get there fast, they're not smart, but there's ways to get there fast. If you use those avenues, you're going to come up, you're going to spike, and then you're going to start breaking. And that's where you see guys come in and out of the sport 
they're there for five years and then they're gone and you don't see them anymore. It's the slow methodical process over time wins the race every time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and because you're giving, you're not only building the skill and the strength and the mindset, but you're also giving your body to build some of those things that are slower to come, right? Like, like bone, bone density and tendon strength. And well, it's the tendon, it's the tendon and ligament strength. That's the biggest deal. And you don't see a lot of literature. You don't see a lot of anything. I mean, how long does it take a muscle to recover from a workout? Two to three days from a strenuous workout. Where is it written down? How long it takes tendons and ligaments to heal from a workout? Nowhere. Nobody's done like research on it. Or if they do research on it, they have no idea what it is. You can't, there's, I've looked, there's places you can go, and, but that's the most important part because if you tear your tendons off the bone, you're always injured. The muscle will get stronger faster than, than the connective tissue always does, but you shouldn't work out till everything's fully healed. And that includes your connective tissue. And that takes an extra two or three days to get back to healed before you train again. And that's the biggest mistake everybody makes in training is they want to go now, 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 every time they're just about healed, they want to go and they want to go. It's like, no, take an extra day, take an extra two days. If you're working out on a seven day cycle, you know, where it's every body part once a week and you split it up over four days, you're going to train really hard. You're going to get really strong. It's going to be slow and methodical and you're almost never going to get hurt as long as you live with some common sense. If you're trying to do each body part twice a week, there's going to come a point where you start to break and it's just how it is. And cause you're not allowing things to heal all the way before you train again. And that's the most important part is it, the moment you get injured, you just set yourself back anywhere between two and eight weeks. Every time you get injured. Yeah. And or depending even, on the or even longer, right? Or, yeah. Like tearing my lat off. <laughs> um, that, that set me back probably, eight, you know, at least a year, at least a year all the way. I mean, I was able to train and get back to things, but to get back to the level I was comfortable with and where I need to be at, it, it took a good year to get back to that or 50, 50 weeks anyway. Yeah. Now it's interesting you bring up tendons and I'm sure, you know, my listeners will eventually get me, get sick of me talking about rock climbing. Cause that's what I like <laughs> to do for fun now. Um, but rock climbers are probably some of the nerdiest people you'll ever listen to about tendons because that's all they really care about is the tendon strength in your fingers and your forearms. Um, and so they probably do more research than anybody else on like how tendons recover. Right. And yeah, it, it's, it's really the limiting factor in training that sport is allowing the tendons to recover. And I've had serious tendon injuries in some of my fingers where like they've basically completely ruptured and, yeah. um, and learned a lot from that. But I had the, uh, but that takes you how many months to heal from? Uh, that was like a 16 week recovery with very aggressive working closely with a PT um, to help me manage it. And it was like, you know, when you, when you rupture a tendon like that, like in a finger, it's so isolated, you can really feel what happens. And it's mm -hmm. like, I couldn't hold like a pencil with the finger. It, you can't do anything. It just can't function because the yeah. tendons that move the bones just aren't the, you know, it just doesn't work. Uh, it's really <laughs> yeah. a trip. It's and, telling um, me no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and then the issue is because they get such a poor blood flow to them, and mm -hmm. there's not really like a, the, the healing process is like, you just have to give it a lot of care and basically like force inflammation into the body part to get blood flowing in there and to heal it. And, and yeah, it, it can be a real pain. But the interesting thing is I was, uh, 
you know, Vegas happens to be kind of like a mecca for rock climbing. And I was, mm-hmm. I was at my climbing gym once and one of the world's best rock climbers happened to be there, a guy named Jonathan Seacrest. He actually lives in Vegas too. Um, but I was just climbing with him. He's a very nice guy. And I just, I asked him, he's had like a really good career and he never gets hurt. And I was like, what, like you've, you've done all these things. Like what's the, what's the best piece of training advice you can give me? And he said, don't get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. At, at the, end of, yeah. the less injuries you have, the more you're going to be able to do whatever it is that you need to do to develop. Yeah. For it's sure. that simple. Yeah. And if you think about like the time frame, like a, even a moderate injury recovery can take, it's like if you are just more judicious about spacing out your recovery and being more self-aware and saying like, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that today. Maybe I should wait a little bit and you can avoid a three or four month injury. I mean, you're talking like, like that's like a, a year of training. If you, if you hadn't hurt yourself, you know what I mean? Right. And that that's what people need to understand is more is not always better quality in the workout quality in the training and the training is where you're tearing everything apart anyway. When you go to climb, when you're climbing, that's where you're putting all the stress on everything. When are you healing? When you're at home, yeah. eating, sleeping, and letting letting everything rest. That's when you're healing. That's actually the most important part of training. That's something else people don't get. Is The most important part is the healing. Because when the training, all you're doing is tearing everything apart. That's That's all it is. It's the breakdown of all the tissue. Um, and then the healings, you know, when you grow and get stronger and put it all back together and then you can go lift a little bit more. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. And if I were anyone listening to this, I would take advice from the guy that's been able to put his body under extreme loads for the past four decades. Um, Mm -hmm. tell us, so you mentioned, um, you know, briefly training a body part versus once a week versus mm-hmm. twice a week. Is that what you tend to do these days is like yeah. focus on one body part per day? Yeah, I've been doing that for probably easily the last almost 20 years um, to where I, I I learned some things like in my early 30s that that frequency was too much. I was br- breaking. I was having a lot of injuries. I wasn't progressing. And I started cutting back things and cutting my workout and waiting till I was completely healed before I went back and it made a massive difference and I've been doing it ever since. So, and then there's still days where if I felt like I've been training too hard and I'm not ready for the next workout, um, I'll take an extra day off and just set everything, set my whole routine back one more day. Yeah. You know, it, because if I take that one day's rest and I don't get hurt as opposed to doing it anyway and then getting hurt, and then it taking four months for me to get back makes more not losing that four months as opposed to one day. I, I'll give up one day for not being hurt for four months any day of the week. Yeah. And I think uh, the, the other thing too, right? It's like if you wake up to do leg day or whatever, and you're like, you know mm-hmm. what? My legs are not recovered. They're too sore. I'm going to give it an extra day of rest. Mm-hmm. When tomorrow comes around and you go to do that leg day, you can put more effort in and have a higher quality workout too. Exactly. Your quality is better. The only day that you don't shut it off is competition day. Yeah. You, you wake up, it's go day. No matter what, it's go day. And you go lay it on the line. And if that's where you get hurt, then that's where you get hurt. But you're doing it in a competition. And yeah. that, that's where it's it's all right. I, and yeah, it's like I can live with that, right? If yeah. I get hurt, if I get hurt putting it all out there to win, that makes sense. If I yeah. get hurt on a day I could have rested, then that that's where no the frustration sense. comes from. Yeah. Right. Right. 
No, it makes a lot of sense. You never want to get hurt training ever. So your training should be set up to the point to where you push the limits, but you never go over the limits while training. When you go over, when you excel, it should always be at the competition day. Yeah, no, and and I think that's that's really intelligent. Um, you mentioned you're gonna ruin the... my reputation now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're a smart guy, man. I think uh, big meathead. We'll give you we'll give you a double reputation. A big meathead that's also pretty smart. Um, you mentioned you know your workouts are where you're you know tearing your muscles down and creating all this damage that that mm-hmm. that you then have to heal. Um, and and obviously with such a long career, you must have this at least somewhat dialed. Um, what's your, what's your typical, like kind of methodology or mindset around nutrition and recovery? You do anything special or. Yeah. I mean, I, recovery wise, you know, there's, uh, there's stretching, uh, working mobility, stuff like that. Um, there's ice baths, there's, you know, uh, stretching in the hot shower, that type of stuff. Um, mobility work, my wife will help me stretch things like that. Cause that's extremely important. A little bit of the foam rolling um tens units stuff like that when i need to get blood flow into certain areas to help me heal that helps a lot with tendons by the way um because blood in and blood out is what makes it heal um also doing cardiovascular exercise for like 20 or 30 minutes three times a day when you're injured will help you heal faster most people don't know that blood in blood out you increase your heart rate your heart rate increases circulation to the whole body blood in Blood out helps the helps everything heal. Most people don't realize that. So it's not like you should sit on the couch and do absolutely nothing. So if you hurt your leg, there's like hand bikes. You sit there and do the hand bike, get your blood flowing to where it'll increase your circulation. Diet wise, um, there's a thing called the vertical diet that Stan Everdeen put out. I've been eating very similar to that for probably 25, probably close to 30 years. And then I read what he had to say about it. And then it just refined and dialed that in a little bit. So I eat a ton of, it's all about digestion and easy digestion and then getting your nutrients in very easily. What's easiest for you. And it's rice, it's beef, it's Buffalo, it's salmon, um, almost no chicken, but it's it's those with a lot of rice and some vegetables and some fats and stuff like that. But it's, it's a great diet. I like it. And I like eating on a very regimen thing. I'll have cheat meals every once in a while, but for the most part, I eat the same way every single day. Yeah. I do the same thing. And a lot of the other athletes that I, I talk to do the same thing. Um, mostly because like people of, of a certain persuasion don't particularly care what they're eating as long as it's reasonably you know, palatable and, and it's easy. Right. Like, I think that's a big, that's the bigger thing. It's like, I know I'm going to have, you know, like oatmeal for breakfast and some sort of like meat, rice and veggies for lunch and meat, rice and veggies for dinner. And that's what I'm going to eat most of the time. And that doesn't bother right. me at all. Um, right. And I'm, I'm familiar with the vertical diet. I think that's uh, a great like ethos for how to get your nutrition's in. And uh, I mean, like part of it's the simplicity of it. And part of it too, is just like easily digestible, easily absorbable nutrients, right? Things that aren't going to cause a lot of um, digestive distress or, or digestive problems. That way you can, you know, train without any of that going on and also recover easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's, that's the whole go to the process. Anyway, I, st- I enjoy eating that too, as well. It's not like, I'm oh, here we go. I got to eat again. Yeah. I enjoy eating that way. 
and then I'll have cheat meals here and there once, twice a week. But for the most part, that's the way I like to eat. So it's, it's developing good habits that lead you're eating for a purpose, but I just happen to like one eating that way as well. Yeah, I do too. Maybe I'm just weird, but man, I could eat white rice like all the time. All the time. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. Me, me too. I mean, I probably eat three cups of it, three uncooked cups of it a day. So after it's cooked, it's got, I don't know what, nine cups. Yeah. Yeah. So. That, that'd be an inch. What's your, uh, tell us what your daily caloric intake is, um, like off season and on season. Uh, on season, it, it can go up to 8,000. Like when I was trying to get to 320, 330, it was up in the 8,000 range. Um, when I'm trying to hang around 310, it's, between 5,500 and 6,000 calories a day, which I'm now at this stage of my life, I'm not trying to get to 320, 330 anymore. So I'll, I stay between five and 6,000 a day now. Nice. Which is still a ton of food. Um, that's hard work eating that much food. (laughs) Uh, and you're, I mean, for, for anyone, but for a strongman competitor, you, you tend to stay like on the leaner side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Carrying around useless weight is useless. Yeah. I mean, so if I put on, you know, 40 pounds of extra body fat, all I did was make it to where I got to pull the, so if I'm trying to pull 850, I'm now going to have to pull 890 because I just put on 40 useless pounds. So if I take the 40 useless pounds off, I'll pull, you know, 870, 880. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You don't want to carry around a lot of useless weight. Yeah. And, and that staying like fairly lean, um, Mm -hmm. were you always that way? Yes. To a certain degree. Yeah. But I've always been very disciplined. Even when I was in college in the way I ate, I always ate a lot of rice, non-fat cottage cheese, tuna, and then like ground beef and rice and, or ground beef and steak and stuff like that. I've always kind of eaten this way. So it's, I've never really carried 70, 80 extra pounds of fat on me. Yeah. That's another commonality. Um, in, with a lot of the athletes that I talk to, like people say like, Oh man, that guy's got great genetics. And, and to be sure, like many of them do, but it's also mm-hmm. like, it's not like they're like slamming cheeseburgers and, and, uh, you know, and right. a bunch of sugar and stuff and walking around with a six pack. It's just like, they naturally tend to favor to eat in a way that kind of like begets the way they look. It's like, right. One follows the other. Yeah. It's, it's that simple. If, if you really monitor what you're taking in and you take it seriously, you're more than likely not going to have any problems in that arena. Yeah. Um, if you just eat whatever you shove in your face and you're eating lasagna and ice cream and stuff like that, yeah, you're going to run into problems or a bunch of potato chips and just a whole ton of processed food. I try to eat very little processed food, very little. I shop around the outside of the store. Yeah. Yeah, I never, uh, I never kept any processed food in my house until I had kids, and now they have all the little kids snacks. So I, I can't yeah, help but eat some of it sometimes. Right, I, I get that because my daughter is now fifteen, my son's twenty-one, but we had a lot of stuff like that around, and I'm just looking at my wife, and we're like, we need to stop getting these things and just make them eat the regular food. And like now, my daughter, my son played lacrosse all through high school had concussion problems, but he was, he went to the Under Armour All-American twice. He was All-State twice. He was just a, a, a shutdown deep hole. He was a really good lacrosse player. It was so much fun to watch him play, but he had a problem with concussions. So now he's going to school, wants to be a doctor. He's managing biology. He's doing great. My daughter is now playing lacrosse and she started for the high school travel team in eighth grade. 
So, yeah, it, especially as much as girls grow between their, you know, eighth grade and their senior year, there's a massive size disparity. And she was good enough to start at eighth grade. So she's going into her sophomore year. She's now starting to eat, starting to quit the processed foods and all the little snacks and stuff like that. Now she's starting to get it. And she keeps improving and improving and improving. So she's got three more years. And the JV team that she was on did not lose a game last year. And the varsity team she was on, it was the same team. She got to play for both. They didn't lose a game in the regular season. They lost like the round before the state championships in a tough game. But um, they were pretty good. Yeah. So and, she's got three more years with these guys. Yeah. And, and like, what a, what a interesting, like testament to the fact that like they, you know, obviously have a natural athletic ability based mm-hmm. on their genetic background, but also yeah. a resource like you to help kind of like guide them through developing as an athlete. Um, how, how involved are you typically with their like athletic development, their training, stuff like that? When they were younger, pretty involved as I've gotten older, step away. Cause I'm dad. <laughs> Dad's making me do it. If I make him do it, they don't really want to do it. If I go talk to the person that's telling them to do it and tell them what to say, makes a big difference. <laughs> so you have to do it kind of indirectly. But I mean, we're always there. We support them. We make sure they do things. And team sports carry a lot of good things just besides playing the sport as well. You, you, you get a lot of life lessons from it. You learn how to function with people that even though you might not get along with them, you still have to reach, achieve a common goal of winning the game and winning the championship or whatever it is that you're going for. And you might do it with people that you don't like. Well, that's a great skill to learn when you're younger so that when you get a job and you go to work, you don't necessarily like everybody you work with or work for, and you still have to function, be able to function with them. So it's a good life lesson to teach them how to, learn how to communicate and deal with people that they might not necessarily like, but they have to work with to achieve a common goal. Yeah, no, that is a great thing to learn. And, you know, you know, it, depending on what you're doing, it's, it's not, everyone's going to like everybody. Some people just are, are different. Uh, yeah. But if you can maintain a level of respect for people, I think that's what's necessary um, in, in work or athletics. Um, uh, a couple of years back, <laughs> you had a pretty major, a major injury. You tore your lat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tore my latissimus dorsi off my humerus completely. Just pulled the whole tendon off, which the good part was is I pulled the tendon off. <laughs> when you tear a muscle, you know right away because it hurts really bad and it bleeds like crazy. When that popped off, I was trying to break the world record in the deadlift. I was trying to pull 821 that day, and the record's 815. It was my own record I was trying to break. And I pulled it off the ground, and I'm like, if I get it off the ground, I always got it. I'm like, I got this thing and it just snapped. So I dropped it. I was done, but I almost knew immediately that it was a tendon. It's just whether the tendon came off the muscle or it came off the bone. I got lucky. It came off the bone that can be fixed. It just, it's a process to go through. So I immediately knew I was going to be fine. I just have a process I have to go through. And now I'm about, I'd say seven, nine tenths done with that process. So um, I'm back. I've done a powerlifting meet at 50 weeks, squatted over 800 again, totaled over 2000 again for the 26th year in a row. <laughs> so, which is pretty good for longevity. And then uh, I came back, I did a strongman contest. I got third overall out of 18 guys that was in it. So I did really well. 
it was a good contest to get back into. Now I'm getting ready for masters. So I had to take my time, redevelop things. I was really afraid to pick up Atlas stones and sandbags because it puts a lot of stress on that lat. And I'm now back. It, it took about 16, 17 months to get to where I could pick it up without being afraid, but now I can pick it up without even a thought. So it's, it's, it's been a long process, but it, I just took it one step at a time, slowly and methodically and worked my way through it. And you get through anything if you do things that way. Yeah. So like for the sandbags with Atlas stones, right. Just starting mm-hmm. at like a much lower weight than you oh, know you're yeah. capable of and like yeah. slowly incrementally building back up to, to where you like are developing more trust in the muscles, integrity and things like that. Right. Yeah. I even started actually with barbells doing like barbell rows, uh, ISO rows in the gym and stuff like that. Got those to where it was back pretty and like in the 90 percentile of strength before it even got near the sandbag or near the stone because those are so much there's so much less control on them you know you go to pick up a sandbag and it's sand so they wobble all over the place i've, I've had some experience with sandbags man yeah they're rough <laughs> so you don't want to be doing that pulling on a muscle that could detach and you know dr mcgee also did a great job at reattaching it and he's amazingly intelligent and smart doctor. I feel very blessed. I got to see him, but apparently I was his longest, roughest surgery he's ever done. Too. Yeah, it's <laughs> he, a, he was, a big canvas to work on. <laughs> well, I guess he put two, two holes in to go in arthroscopically. <laughs> he just shook his head, apparently pulled them out and just sliced my, I have like an eight inch scar in my armpit from the surgery. He just, just sl- sliced it open. He knew there was no way he's be able to do it that way. But he's like, yeah, your your lat is the size of like a prime rib roast beef. You know, he goes, so I'm trying to figure out how to put that back together. He's like, so it was one of the hardest, most strenuous surgeries I ever had to do because he had to pull it back up from down here and pull it up and reattach it up here. Yeah. You know, and then he had to pound in a couple anchors. They used the extra tendon, you know, from a cadaver to add to it. So he he put it in there pretty good, pretty darn good. He goes, once this heals all the way, you should be fine. He goes, but take it methodically and slowly. I was like, okay. So yeah, what a, what a good doctor to, to mm. like, you know, be encouraging you that, that you're going to bounce back to normal and things like that. And not, mm. not uh, putting like limits on you. I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. and, and I think the, the other interesting thing is like, I, you know, talk to people on the other side of the spectrum, people that aren't like elite athletes, even people mm. in their late thirties that are like, well, you know, uh, you know, I can't do what I used to do. I'm getting older. I'm like, man, you got to talk to Nick Best. Look what this guy's <laughs> yeah. doing. Um, to, to have like, you know, what most people consider a fairly catastrophic injury mm-hmm. and and bounce back from it and be positive the whole time and have the have the foresight to be like, yeah, this is going to be a year and a half, you know, maybe two year recovery, but I'll get there. And then here we are on the tail end of that recovery. And you're basically back to 100 percent. Yeah. Um, both a testament to yourself, but also just what the human body, the human body is capable of, man. It's awesome. Oh, it's, it's way more capable of things than what we think. I mean, look at Navy SEAL training. Most of that training won't kill you. It's just miserable. <laughs> you know, they get the guys out there, they get them sleep deprived. They got them in the surf. It's the middle of the night and they're doing sit-ups in the water with a log as a group. It's just learning how to function well while being uncomfortable. 
and people don't understand how uncomfortable they can actually be and still function at a great level. And it's that type of mentality through the training going, okay, you know what? I can do this. It's going to suck, but I can do this and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it with a good attitude because that's going to make a difference. And that'll get you through just about every tough spot in your life as, as you go through it. I mean, my life definitely has not been perfect. There's been rough things in my childhood and other stuff that people go through. And you know what? You get through them and you come through in one piece and you just live a happy life and be good to other people. It's it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, and that and I think the the other component of that injury recovery is also mm-hmm. having the patience and the humility to step back and say, like, you know, I used to be able to do this whatever Mm -hmm. deadlift 800 pounds. It's like, I know I can do that and I know I can get back to it and probably even do better than it. But to get there, I'm going to have to dial things way back and maybe do some lifting. That's even like probably boring for you. Right. You're like, this is. Yeah. Yeah, I I did. I I went out and to get my heart rate up, I was dragging a tire three days after surgery. Yeah. You know, but it was doing things to get my heart rate up, things to stay busy, stay moving, stay mobile you know, and get my head right at the same time. So yeah. was it what I wanted to do? No, but was it going to get me to a place where I could do what I love to do again? Absolutely. So it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like it, it seems silly to compare, right? Like t- I tore a finger, you tore a lat. Yours is way more significant. <laughs> well, I've but, torn, I've done the same thing to my finger. That you? You did. Um, I think in 2015 when we were in Malaysia, they were, we were supposed to like do a tire loading medley. Well, they didn't bring the tires with them. They thought they could just outsource them in when we were in Malaysia. They couldn't really do that. So they found in like some type of truck place that had solid rubber tires. So imagine a tire about the size of a truck tire, but it's solid rubber. So instead of being like, you know, you know, like up to your belly button in height and be about 220 pounds, it was like a car tire. That was 352 pounds. Yeah. So it wasn't, it didn't have an inner tube, right? It was just solid no, rubber. Solid rubber. Yeah. And so we had to pick these things up off the ground and I went to pick it up and my finger slipped and it all, all that weight caught on my middle finger and popped the tendon in my finger. That's why when you started talking, I was like, what did it take you about four, yeah. four weeks, four months to recover from that? Yeah. 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 Well, and the interesting thing is like, I I'm lucky to have a, a guy I climb with that's a great athlete and also a PT. And so right. like he, he had me take uh two weeks of rest after, or mm-hmm. maybe it was one week rest. I think one week rest after I heard it to let the injury settle and figure out what we were dealing with. And then once he was able to diagnose it, he was like, all right, go hop on a hangboard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Start hanging on the finger. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, you know, I, you know, when I'm in good form, like now I'm healthy, I can do, you know, pull-ups on very small things. Uh, right. with my body weight. But in order to heal it, I was grabbing like relatively large holds and taking a bunch of weight off. And his, he was like, just like do it at a level that provokes maybe like three to four out of 10 pain, like tolerable pain, but not too yes. much. And then over the course of the next few months, like take, take five pounds off, five pounds off, five pounds off. And I did that systematically. And like, you know, what do you know? Three months later, it was good as new, but it, man, it was, it was boring as hell. <laughs> to do it. Yeah. It's really boring and and pretty uncomfortable too. Um, but not so discomforting that I couldn't do it, but it was just, you know, trusting that process and, mm-hmm. and, uh, getting to a place where I couldn't hold a coffee cup with a finger to where now it's like, you know, I could probably pull 90 pounds with a single finger and it'd be fine. 
Um, but being willing to go through that process and say like, you know, it sucks now, but it's going to get better. And, and being able to push through that, it, it's crazy. Um, how you can bounce back from those injuries and what you've done with that, with the light injury. And I'm sure other injuries in your career is a testament to that. Oh yeah. I mean, I've had like an ingrown hernia. I've torn both my biceps. Um, yeah. So, but all of those were recovery processes. Yeah. Nothing's ever going to completely keep you down. You just got to figure out how to get it healed and what your new normal is after that. Yeah. You can still do everything in life that you want to do. Yeah. You know, you just got to figure out your new normal and go do it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the human body's ability to adapt is uh, crazy. It's, it's nuts. It's absolutely insane. All right, man. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. Let me just wrap, wrap up with some sure. like short form questions from uh, okay. some of our, our customers and stuff. Okay. Um, you've, you've obviously had such a long career and you continue to compete at a high level, like well into your fifties, which is an age where, you know, probably a lot of people would say like, I'm not an athlete anymore. Right. Um, mm-hmm. do you have any tips on, on how to achieve that level of longevity? Um, yeah, basically rest, train, and then take the proper rest. You can still do everything you did when you were younger. You just have to take a longer space in between when you did it. So if it took you three days to heal from something when you were younger, it'll take you four or five now. Just know that going in and map all everything that you're doing out that way. And you can still do it. And then train mobility first and then train as you train your mobility and your range of motion and the motion through the exercise, you will start developing that type of strength again. So one will follow the other and just take your time and do it. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, you started lifting because of football in an era mm-hmm. where probably access is, well, especially the access to the knowledge people have today doesn't exist, but right. especially access to things like powerlifting knowledge or strongman knowledge doesn't exist. It's, it's more accessible now. Mm-hmm. But if, if, uh, someone that's listening was interested in pursuing powerlifting or strongman, where would you suggest they get started? Um, get started by kind of watching a lot of the older competitors. And the things that they've put out, like Sejuna Saviskas, Saviskas, um, look at some of the stuff I put on on my page, and go follow. We're in a day and era where you don't have to necessarily go find a book. You don't have to go find this. You just follow the people, and you can see what they're going through, and then you can type them questions. And most of the guys will answer if they're respectful questions um, to a certain degree, and that's where you're going to learn from. Go to the gym, find the older guys in the gym that have been doing it a long time and see, see what their advice is. And anybody who tries to get you into going from A to Z super fast, probably don't listen to them because nothing, nothing that's built that's going to last is built really fast. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. Um, you've been training for a long time and mm-hmm. obviously a lot of that ability to train for for so long it's come from like a genuine passion or enjoyment of, of all of the things. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure like any other person, you have days where you're not feeling motivated. Oh, um, <laughs> what do you do? What do you do when you feel like that? Um, one of two things. Um, I either suck it up and get it done or I just take the day off. There's one or the other. If I know I have something coming up and I know I have to prepare for something, I'll find a way of sucking it up and getting it done. I'll go, okay, I'm at 80% today, so I'll back everything to 80% and I'll get it done that day. I'll put work in. I won't put 
work in to 100%, but I'll put in the work in and I'm capable of doing that day to avoid injury. If it's a day where I just don't have it and I'm not, not preparing for anything, I prefer not to get injured. So I'll rest the extra day and then come back and hit it at 100% the next day. It's the easiest way to explain it. Learn, but you have to look. The biggest thing you take away from all of it is learn your body. Because my body is different from your body. is different from everybody else's body. Learn how it feels. And learn how it feels when it's ready to go. And learn how it feels when it's not ready to go. That'll make the biggest difference in everything you do as far as training athletically. you got to know your body. Yeah, that self-awareness is, is really important. It's like the number one probably thing in training to learn. You know, oh, I didn't eat very good and then I trained. Well, that didn't work out too well. Write notes why why you felt bad the next day. Then come eat really good and then go in and see how you perform. Write down what you ate. And if it worked out great, do that every time before you go train. It's not hard. It's not rocket science, but it's learning how your body works compared to everyone else's. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that like, you know, having such a long athletic career, you've been able to develop that kind of intuitive sense about yourself. Um, Do you have, like, as you're warming up or getting ready for workouts, do you have, like, little things where you're checking in on yourself to see, like, okay, I'm ready today? Or or maybe yeah. if something's not feeling right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, I'll start warming up, and the first couple sets will just feel horrible sometimes. And I'm just like, all right. And then I'll there's kind of like a weight somewhere between, like, if I'm squatting, the, there's a weight somewhere between 300 and 600 as I'm progressing up through that range. Where if it, it, if it'll usually start feeling better at 500, then it'll feel real good at 600. And if it feels good at 600, I'll go seven, 800 pounds or whatever after that. But if I get to 500 and it still feels like horrible, I'm, I'm just, I'll usually just shake my head and take the day off and then come back the next day and kill it. Nice. Yeah. And then kind of, I mean, that, that's, I, I think like, especially younger athletes, people that, that, don't have that level of experience can struggle with that. Right. Like if today's the day I need to push yeah. a PR, they're going to do it no matter what, but being able to show know. how tough they can be. And yeah. everything else. It's you're here doing this. You're lifting stuff. That's obnoxiously heavy. You're already tough. Yeah. You don't have to prove that. What you have to do is prove you're smart enough to back off when your body tells you to back off. Yeah. Yeah. And like, usually when you're feeling like that, there's like physical realities that are, that are happening inside your body that are causing that. It's not like, you know, it's not necessarily just in your head. And so it's important to listen to them. Like maybe the muscle tissue isn't healed. You know what I mean? If you push it too far, things can break. So yeah. 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 Yeah, Um, It's like right in the rail. Mm -hmm. You you're going to turn 54 soon, right? Mm, Yeah. In about five weeks. Nice. Happy, (laughs) happy early birthday. Thank Um, you. You obviously are showing no signs of slowing down now, uh, potentially ever. Are you going to do this until, until you forever? I'm going to do strongman until it's not fun anymore. I'm going to yeah. power lift forever, forever. Cause there's a different age category and different weight classes. So if I start dropping down to like 275, which when I'm not doing strongman anymore, my first weight drop will be two two seventy five, And then about five years after that, I'll drop down to 242. And then see how long I can hold that 60s, 70s. And if I need to, I'll drop down to 220. If not, I'll I'll stay at 242. Yeah. Till, till whenever. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I like that that 
that idea, right? Until it's not fun anymore. Cause like, yeah. you know, if you're, if you've, you found a way to make it fun and obviously like any, anything worth doing has elements that are difficult or challenging or hard mm-hmm. or even like, like I, I love climbing. There's things I do to train for it that are not fun, but, but it helps empower stuff that's like wildly fun. So it's not that big of a deal. Like I'm like, this is going to be 30 minutes. It's not my favorite thing to do ever, but because I do this, I get to do something that's like so exciting and fun to me. Um, and it, in that, like with that frame of mind, it becomes easy. And it's <laughs> like, I think that the fact that you found something that you love to do when you were a teenager and you're mm-hmm. going to keep doing it through the rest of your life is just so cool. And the way that that kind of like genuine enjoyment of, of lifting has enabled you to do it for such a long time. Uh, everyone can learn a lot from that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. And you know what? It's, you do that anything in your life. If you want to be a computer programmer and that's your thing, then that's how you go after it. I mean, and you surround yourself with people that, um, all your friends are people that will help you move in that direction. Everybody who tries to pull you away from that direction need to be acquaintances. You still know them. You still talk to them, stuff like that, but you don't hang out with them. You don't spend a lot of time with them. Anything that's going to take you away from your goals um, isn't really trying to help you. So why are you having that as somebody part of your inner circle? It doesn't mean you don't talk to them and you're not friends with them, but they're not in your inner circle controlling who's in your inner circle and help having them help guide you in the direction that you want to go is how you set yourself up for success. Whether it's computer programming, whether it's selling beer, whether no matter what you're doing or brewing beer for that matter, no matter what you're doing, the more people that are like you, that are smart, that want to move in the direction that you want to move in, the more success you're going to have. Yeah. Well, and and the other element too, is like when you're surrounded by people like that, you start to look at things that other people might consider, you know, like out like strange or like, man, that guy's like really into that. They just become normal, right? Like getting to bed on time, eating the same thing all the time, taking all this stuff seriously. It's like, if you're in the right circle, man, everyone's doing that. It's just a normal thing to do. Oh, no, I, I have no problems going to like a party or something where people are at or some type of function. Somebody will be like, Hey, you want to drink? I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like really? I'm like, mm, I have goals. And that takes me away from what I want to do. So I know what it tastes like. I know the work that went into it. I know the nuances and everything about it that makes it taste that way. And I respect it and I actually like it. But at the end of the day, that doesn't get me where I want to be. So you guys go ahead. I can have fun without it. I'm going to sit here and eat and hang out with you guys and talk. But I'm leaving here in an hour and a half because I got to go get to sleep. Yeah. Oh, come on, man. I go, no, no, no. I'm going. If you guys don't like it it's too bad i'm leaving yeah and if they don't accept that then they're they're become acquaintances yeah but a lot of people if, do right a lot of people respect yeah, that level of uh, exactly right yeah well i know i've learned a ton even in our brief conversation um mm-hmm. and i followed you for a long time so thanks so uh i always get a lot from the stuff you put out if our listeners want to learn more or follow you where should they do that at every social media platform i'm nick best strong man Awesome. So it's pretty, it's pretty easy to find. So YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, all that. Um, yeah. Nick Best Strongman. Yeah. And I think like you're obviously uh, pretty regular on Instagram. So I'd suggest people ch- check you out there. Yep. Um, and yeah, we'll definitely have you back on the podcast again in the future. Um, Absolutely. Nick Best, everybody. Make sure you follow him at, at Nick Best Strongman. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. 
thank you for the conversation today. It's been a pleasure and uh, we will chat again with you soon. Thanks for having me.